Our world seems vast, yet closer than ever. Distances shrink, but hearts grow apart. We find ourselves at the crossroads of connection and isolation, of unity and division. Have we ever stopped to consider the mark we leave on this world? What legacy will remain in our house, our neighborhood, our, our nation? nation? We are called to become radiant symbols of compassion and hope. Reaching not just the house next door, but also to distant lands across vast oceans. Let us embark on a journey together, transcending geography. Propelled to love unconditionally, serving with unwavering devotion. Stepping into a divine mission together, we'll build bridges over division. We will redefine borders. We will seek unity as we look to love our, our neighbors, neighbors and, and nations. nations. Welcome to Crosspoint, and it is good to be together, and we have been celebrating what God did last week. I just want to begin with gratitude and just to share with you about what happened this past week. There were 87 people who were baptized across all of our campuses as a church, and celebrate that. It's amazing just to get to hear the stories of lives that have been changed and families have been changed. I love to think that, uh, that there were some, um, some kids and some of our kids' ministry um, spaces who, who a new mom and dad came and picked them up. Not like a new mom and dad, but, but a mom or dad that was made new, that was made new, that gave their life to Jesus. And you talk about changing generations, changing a family tree, that when we begin, we give our lives fully to God, there's a life change that takes place. And so we're celebrating that. There were 87 people. And then also there were 1,200 people who took a next step to discover their spiritual gifts. If you'll remember last week, maybe you listened to the podcast or, or online and you weren't able to be here. I want to give you a QR code that if you follow this QR code, it'll lead you to a test where you can take a test online. And then we want to help you. We want to help equip you to use your spiritual gifts here at Crosspoint in a way that helps other people find and follow Jesus. And there's just joy from using our gifts. Um, we've got a global marketplace going on in our lobbies uh, today, and, uh, and some of you have the spiritual gift of acquisition. Um, you've got, some of you didn't know that was a spiritual gift. I didn't either, but um, you normally use it at, you know, at the mall, but you can use that spiritual gift of acquisition uh, here, and, and we're excited about what God's doing in this series Neighbors and Nations. And I want to share a story with you that really changed the way that I, that I viewed God's work in the world. It changed the way I see um, other people. And it happened back years ago. I think it was uh, back in 2004. Um, I was a student pastor at a church in the Atlanta area, and I was in Lima, Peru, and I was scouting out a mission trip. And we went down there. I was with my friend George. And, and on our last day there, we only had a couple days there. But on our last day there, they, was, there was an invitation to come preach at a house church. And, uh, and it was really cool because there were only a couple dozen people kind of piled into this courtyard in this church. And, uh, and we had to catch a flight a little later on. And I had, an, I had an opportunity to preach. It was my first time ever preaching with a translator, which was amazing because I would speak in English and they would speak in Spanish. That's the way translation works. And I spoke in English and they spoke in Spanish. And if I raised my voice, they raised their voice. And it was just, it was incredible. So I would do, and I, I started getting into it. And I was like, if I raise my hand like this, they raise their hand like this. And I was like, this is incredible, you know? And so, and then there was this lady who was on the front row and she was just, she was in tears. And I'm like, I don't know. It was obvious that God was doing something in her heart. We finish up the message, and she comes up to the translator and tells me through the translator, um, God told me you're the one. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. 
She said, God told me that you're the one who will tell my husband about Jesus. And I'm thinking, we got to catch a flight in about two hours. I don't know that I have time to go meet with your husband. And she hands me a piece of paper. And I open up the piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, it said, Jose Jimenez. And then it said a phone number, 404. Now, I was a youth pastor in Atlanta. And in Atlanta, my area code was 404. This lady didn't know where I was from. She hands me this piece of paper. And in that moment, I'm like, well, maybe I am. You know, there was this moment. And, and I just, I, I go back to that moment and say, some people hear that story and they go, you know what? It's a, it's a small world. Is it? I mean, is it really a small world? 7.8 billion people. Is it really a small world or do we just serve a big God? We serve a big God whose desire is for all people to come to know him. God's heart is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance, that all would return home, that all would live in love with him and receive his love for them. God wants that so much that he gave his son. And God's love for the world is why we're entering this series talking neighbors and nations. Have you ever heard the story? Maybe, maybe you heard it as a kid or maybe, you've, maybe it's the first time you'll hear it, but a story about when Jesus cleared the temple. Does that, does that sound familiar? I mean, let's go back and let's look at it together in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. In my Bible, it's page um, 922. I don't know what it is in yours, but Mark chapter 11, we're, uh, we're going to look at this story. And, um, and it's the story about when Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. Pick up in verse 15. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And let's look at the context. Let's look at what's going on. In Jesus' day, in the nation of Israel in Jerusalem, they had the temple. And the temple was the, it was the center of worship. It was where people came to experience the presence of God. It's where people came for festivals. They would travel from all over the world to come to Jerusalem to worship there at the temple. And that was the place where they experienced love of God. That was the place where God changed their life. That's the way, that's how they worshiped him. And this was the place where it was believed heaven met earth. It was a thin space. It was a place where people encountered God. Now, in the temple, there were certain sections that were, or divisions. You had the, the Holy of Holies over here, and the Holy of Holies is the most, most holy place. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Some of you are thinking about Indiana Jones right now. But the Ark of the Covenant was considered the present, it was the most holy furniture. It was the place that symbolized the presence of God. It was where God, the presence of God dwelled, and that was in the holy place. And the only person who could go into the holy of holies was the high priest. And one day out of the year on Yom Kippur, the high priest would enter into the holy of holies to, um, to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice that was made for the sin of the people. That's the holy of holies. And then you have the holy place and that was the holy place was the, was the next place. That was around where the court of priests were. And only the priests could go. So only the high priests could go into the holy of holies. The priests could go to the, to the holy place. And then outside of that, you have the court of Israel. And the court of Israel was where the men would go to worship. Then you have the court of women. And the court of women was where the women would go to worship. And then outside of that, you had the court of Gentiles. 
And the Gentiles or non-Jews, the foreigners, the outsiders, this is where they would go to worship. And so you had these divisions of the temple, these sections of the temple. And so in the story, Jesus goes to the court of Gentiles. And that's where he, he clears house. That's where he flips tables. Because some, what had happened was some people had set up kind of a, a place in the court of Gentiles that took advantage of the Gentiles who were coming in to worship. And so they had, they had tables where they were selling sacrifices because when people came and they traveled a long distance to come to worship, they would need an animal to sacrifice. And some people had set up places to sell animals and say, hey, that, that, that dove that you have, you need, a, like you need a blessed dove. And so there was just this selling that was going on there. They would tell people, you know, you can't, you can't use, and people were unable to use their foreign currency to be able to pay the temple tax. And so they had to exchange for a shekel to be able to pay their temple tax. And so there was this, um, they were charging exorbitant rates uh, rates of exchange for the people. And so there was this, the way that outside, there were, it says that, that in, back in that time, there were, um, there were people who, they had set up a shortcut across the court on the Temple Mount, across the court of the Gentiles to get to the other side of the temple. And so there was kind of a shortcut. So what was sacred space for the Gentiles, they had set up kind of this place to cut across. That's why it said that Jesus wouldn't let them carry, carry their merchandise Across, People were just trying to save a few minutes and they were completely disregarding somebody else's encounter with God. And Jesus flips the tables and he quotes a passage from Isaiah and Jeremiah. In Isaiah 56, 7, he says, For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now that's a reference, that's a throwback to Solomon's prayer. Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. This is Solomon's prayer when he's dedicating the temple. I want you to hear what he prays when he blesses the temple. He says, this is Solomon praying to God. He says, for, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So Solomon is praying, God, would this be a place that when people come from all over the world, that they come and they pray, they come and they think maybe, maybe this, this God is the one true God and they offer up their prayer. Would this be the place where you hear their prayer and where you answer their prayer and they go back home and they tell their homes and they tell their families and they tell their cities and they tell their countries that that God is the one true God. So God, would you answer their prayers for your glory, for your name, for your fame throughout the world, a house of prayer for all nations? And this is the context. This is what's going on when Jesus flips the tables. And I was thinking about this. I was like, it's wild that he, that he goes over and he, he, he I'm not going to do it, but, but he flips the tables it's wild that he flips the tables and he goes through all this when in only a few days he's going to go to the cross. I mean, in only a few short days, he's going to completely abolish the sacrificial system. It's going to be over and done. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. In that moment, the reason he says that is because the sacrificial system is done. 
Jesus is the final sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. So when he cries out, it is finished, Matthew tells us in that moment that the curtain, that the 60-foot-tall curtain that separates the holy of holies from the holy place, that that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. So it'd be clear that no man has torn that curtain, but the hand of God has ripped that curtain, this dividing wall between mankind and a holy Holy God, because of what Christ did on the cross, now we can enter in and we can have a relationship with God. The reason they call it the gospel is the gospel is because it's good news. It's the best news going on in the world. So when Jesus cries out, it is finished, he has made a way for us. Three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that the sacrifice took, <laughs> that now we can know God. And now we receive the Holy Spirit. So God doesn't live in a temple made by hands. He, he lives in us. We are the temple. And so Jesus goes and he flips over tables, even though he knew all of that was about to happen. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus get so angry? Why did he get so angry? You know, anger is a valid emotion. Anger will reveal what matters to you. Oftentimes, we get angry because of our own pride, because of our own ego. But what we see here is what matters to God, what matters to Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't get angry with sinners. He doesn't get angry with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He doesn't get angry when he's crucified. He doesn't get angry when they drive nails into his feet and to his hands. What does Jesus get angry with? He gets angry with these people who were taking advantage of other people who were coming to worship. He gets angry with people who, out of their own greed, set up obstacles to keep other people to getting to God. He gets angry with people in this moment who took advantage of the outsider, who disregarded the outsider in their worship and cared only for themselves. It's to that that Jesus gets angry and he, he flips over tables. He drives out the money changers. Um, I've heard people use this passage to justify um, destruction of property in violent protest, but they're missing something with this. They're missing that this is his house. Jesus is the son of God. This is his father's house. If my daughters came home from college and some joker, somebody came into my house and set up a card table in my kitchen and tried to charge them to eat dinner, or every time they tried to talk to me, this person interrupts them or gets in the way of them trying to give me a hug, there's going to be a card table on my front lawn. I'm going to, I'm going to, there's going to be an eviction that takes place because they're getting in the way of my daughters who have come from college to come home to be with their mom and their dad. Jesus is Lord of the, this is his father's house. So Jesus, he does not, I want you to see, he does not sin in his anger, but in his anger, he clears the house. He's making it clear what matters to God and his vulnerability and his passion and compassion. What matters to God? Jesus wants us to know people matter to God. Strangers matter to God. 
Outsiders matter to God. Foreigners matter to God. Lonely people matter to God. Vulnerable people matter to God. Seekers matter to God. Doubters matter to God. Addicts matter to God. Neighbors matter to God. The nations matter to God. And we can become like those people in the first century. Here's how. When we become more focused on the insiders than we do the outsiders. Anytime we value insiders, our insider group, than the outsiders, we can do the same thing. I remember one time I went to a church and, and I, I visited church. And when we went in, they had this time in the service called the greet. You know about the greet? We sang the songs, and after we sang the songs, the, the person up there said, okay, now I want you to take a moment and just greet the people around you. Well, it was our first time, and so we didn't know any of the people around us. But then we looked around, and all the people around us, they're like high-fiving and hugging and like talking and sharing stories. Hey, you remember the time? I mean, there's like, it was like when you go to a movie theater and you see two people making out, and you can tell they're having fun, but you don't know if you're supposed to be there. You know, it's like... <laughs> Sometimes what we call really good community cannot feel that way to somebody else when we lose sight of the outsider. And so Jesus wants us to have his heart for the outsider. That we wouldn't forget about the outsider. Paul picks up this theme in Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there with me, we're going to look at this together. I want to ask you a question as you're turning there. Um, can you remember a time when you were an outsider? Can you remember a time when, when, you, were, when you were new? Maybe you moved to a new town, started at a new school, started a new job in a new city, new department, new church, new neighborhood. Can you remember what it was like to be an outsider? Can you remember what it was like to be a stranger? Can you remember what it was like to be new? I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to think about how that felt. Now I wonder, um, can you think of a time when somebody um, saw you, when you felt seen? Can you think of a time when you were an outsider and somebody saw you and they noticed you and they welcomed you in and they demonstrated hospitality and they made room for you? Can you remember how that made you feel? I want you to think of their name. Think of, that, think of a person who helped you feel seen and known and loved. Think of that person. Think of their name. Now I want you to tell the person next to you that person's name. See, the reason that we can think of a moment when we felt like an outsider and the reason that we can think of somebody's name is because these are core memories. Here's why it's a core memory. Because two of the most powerful forces on the planet are the forces of acceptance and rejection. Two of the most powerful forces on the planet are the forces of acceptance and the forces of rejection. And these forces are at play every single day. At the gym, at the office, at school, Maybe the place where we feel it the deepest is in the lunchroom on the first day of school. You remember what that's like? Some of you are breaking out in hives just thinking about it. <laughs> Have you ever gone to a new school where you didn't know anybody and then you know that lunch is coming? 
You know that lunch is going to be, and you know you're going to be required to walk in and find. Why do we feel nervous and anxious and lonely and afraid? Because of the forces of acceptance and rejection. And what are the questions that we're wondering? Will I have a place to sit? Will anybody accept me? Will anybody make room for me? And many of us know what it's like to sit down and to, and to sit alone. And some of us know what it's like to be standing there with a tray and have somebody see us and say, hey, come on, come on over here. And somebody who would make room for us. Listen, this is a biblical definition of hospitality. Hospitality is making room for people that we don't have to, but that we feel compelled out of compassion and out of love that we say, I'm gonna make space for you. I'm gonna make room for you. And now let's, let's, just, let's just acknowledge that it's natural for us to gravitate toward people who like us and are like us. See, this is what's going on in Romans chapter 15. This is what Paul is talking. He's talking to the church at Rome. And the church at Rome is a diverse group of believers. And they are diverse in their ethnicity and in their cultural background and their upbringing, their family situation, different practices and worship practices, different opinions and different preferences. Some that are very strong in their faith. Some that are very weak in their faith. Some that don't have any faith at all and not sure where they're at. And in their gathering together, they've got Jews and they've got Gentiles that are coming together and people are gravitating to different tables. And that is natural. It's natural to gravitate toward people who look like us and act like us and think like us and vote like us. That's natural, it's what the world does. What's supernatural is when we love people who are not like us and we move toward them and we make space for them, we make room for them at the table. It's what Paul is talking to in Romans chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read about nine verses. Let's take this in together. He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So the key verse in there in verse seven, he says, accept one another. Then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So accept one another. What does that word accept mean? Um, maybe a, thank you, Christoph. I was nervous. I was nervous I might, I might drop it. You, you too. Okay, we we're, both, we we're both nervous. Um, so when he says accept one another, you ready? Okay. 
says, accept one another. What did he say? You did. You caught it. Very good. And so <laughs> everybody was nervous, not just you. But, and then so he says, accept one another. You want to toss it back? Yeah. He's saying, catch. Like D-hop. Like catch. Take it in. Don't drop. Receive. I want you to catch. You got a Michigan hat on and you still caught that. That's awesome right there. So <laughs> accept one another. Here we go. Very good. So he's like, I don't want you, I don't want you to drop anybody, no matter what team they're representing. I want you to accept one another. I want you to take one another in. I want you to, I want you to not drop. So Paul's saying, I want you to accept one another as Jesus accepted you. How did Jesus accept you? As you are. How did Jesus accept you? With your shortcomings? How did Jesus accept you? With your failures? How did Jesus accept you? With your mistakes? How did Jesus accept you? as you are right now. Now, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And just because Jesus accepts us as we are doesn't mean that Jesus approves of everything that we do. Somebody say, well, if you love somebody, that means you'll approve of everything they do. Whoever says that has never had kids. Jesus loves us and he accepts us. He receives us. He doesn't drop us. But it's in that context of his acceptance that we experience transformation. And so Paul is telling the believers at Rome, accept one another as Christ Jesus has accepted you. Don't drop them. Too much is on the line. Accept one another. And what we learn from this, let me just, will you hold on this for just a little bit? There you go. What we, what we learn from this is that acceptance is not just a thought Acceptance requires action. See, if I asked how many, of us, how many of you are accepting people, I think we'd all go, I'm accepting. But not everybody around us feels accepted by us. It's because acceptance is not just thinking, accepting thoughts. Jesus didn't just stay in heaven and accept, think accepting thoughts about us. He acted upon it. He came and dwelled among us full of grace and truth full of acceptance and truth. Jesus accepted us as we are. And so it's not just thinking, accepting thoughts. It's actually putting it into action. So what I want to do, since we're tossing a football, I want to coach you up a little bit, okay? I want to talk about how do we accept. And I want to just, it's going to be quick here. I want to give you five keys to the game. I want to give you five keys to the game of how we can be more accepting like Christ in our relationships, both in the church and outside of the church, because we are the church. Church is not a building, the church is a people. So in our ministries, that we all have a ministry, how can we be more accepting? So let me give you five keys to the game. Here we go, and this, this works in the, in the church, in the school, in, in work, and in the lunchroom. Here we go, first is see people. It's impossible to accept people without seeing people. It blows my mind how I can go an entire day without seeing people that aren't on my schedule or aren't on my agenda. I can be so focused on what I have to do that I, that I don't see people. It starts with a prayer of saying, God, would you help me? Would you help me see people? Would you help me truly see people? George Bernard Shaw wrote, the worst sin against someone is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. To do that is to say, you don't, you don't matter, you don't exist. Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone that you are intentionally overlooking? Is there anyone that God would have you see? 
And let me kind of give you a little, little trick. It's a prayer that I pray just to help my heart get right with this. As I say, God, you love them, and God, you love me. Would you help love them through me? Because then it's not me trying to muscle up the love. It's me asking God to give what he would love to supply me with, and that's his love for other people. So first is see people. Second is smile often. Check this out. They say that when Mother Teresa was at, um, when she was in Calcutta, when she was at the Missions of Charity, and people would come, off, uh, come and travel there to go work with her, and they would get off the train, um, this is what she said. The first thing that she would look for is a smile. And here's why. This is what she said. She said, people can overcome the language barrier. They can learn the skills, but if they cannot smile, they cannot serve. Because a smile is the beginning of love. A smile is the beginning of love. And it's amazing how a smile, you just give a smile, how it changes the atmosphere, how it changes things for another person. Somebody asked me one time, they're like, man, why do you smile so much? It's because I have this face. (laughs) Here's the thing, there is nothing, as a man, there is nothing you can do to improve your face. Women, they get out their little toolbox and they go to work, but like, (laughs) dudes, all you got is this face, like this is the only face I got. The only thing I can do to improve it is a smile. And so when we smile, it changes things. It changes other people. And one of the high priestly prayers in the Old Testament is that the Lord's face shine upon you. That God smiles on you. That God is in a good mood toward you. And one of the gifts that we give to other people, because they don't know that God's smiling, One of the gifts we give to other people is our smile. Because when people know that they matter to us, then they begin to think that they matter to God. But people won't know that they matter to God unless they first know that they matter to you. Acceptance begins by seeing people, then it moves to a smile. Next is remember names. Acceptance involves asking someone's name, saying their name in the conversation, and then remembering their name. I'm just going to pray right now, a blessing on your hippocampus. That's the part of your brain that remembers names. I just pray for a blessing that you would be able to remember names and to ask God, God, would you help me remember names? It was um, Dale Carnegie who wrote, there is no sweeter sound to a person's ear than the sound of his or her own name. Man, it's something when somebody remembers your name, isn't it? I was at Starbucks. Used to go there all the time. And I would go and I would get my cup of coffee. And every time the barista would ask me my name and then write it on the cup. And I was going there for months after months after months. And one day I just got irritated. I was like, bro, do you even know? Because I tell you my name every single morning. And then I realized I don't know his name. And it's on his apron. which caused me to realize which name I was really focused on. See, acceptance, it starts with seeing people. Then it moves to a smile. And then it's asking their name and remembering their name. And the next is ask questions. Ask questions. Acceptance asks questions. Questions like, where are you from? And tell me your story. I don't know. Whoever you meet, there's one thing they're an expert in, and that's their story. Tell me your story. Ask about their family. 
Ask about how the move, and the majority of people that you meet will have moved to Middle Tennessee from somewhere else. Just we're, we're asking questions. This, this past week, I had to, I had to uh, take an Uber to go pick up my car from the shop, and I, my Uber driver, his name was, was um, Paul, P-A-U. Um, and, uh, and, and so in my conversation with, with Paul, not Paul, Paul, he was, um, he's from Myanmar, um, Myanmar, and he was a refugee and, uh, and here on asylum because of persecution and because of what he'd experienced there. And he had been in, um, in the Nashville area for a couple years. And I'm just asking questions and I'm getting to hear his story. And, uh, and then I ask a question that often I love to ask, and it's, uh, it's, what's your dream? And sometimes people tell you about a business they want to start. Sometimes they'll tell you about the family that they want to begin start. Some people tell you about they want to go to school. I asked Paul that question, what's your dream? And you know what he said? I want to tell people about Jesus. And he took a couple of those little, um, those little tracks through, you know, through the language barrier. He took some of those little tracks. They're little, um, they share the gospel, share the truth. And he gave a couple of them to me. And I'm like, come on, Paul. That's where he's from. He's like, Murfreesboro. I'm like, bro, if we ever start a campus in Murfreesboro, we got a campus pastor right here, man. You are. But his love, I love his, his passion. But I was inspired by him because of questions that were asked. Man, when we ask questions, it communicates acceptance and love. And then the last one is live generously. Live generously. Acceptance looks like love. And living generously is looking at our lives and going, what do we have to share with those who are outsiders? What do we have to share? What do we have to give? Paul breaks it down. He says, where you are strong, that we should not use our strength to please ourselves, but we should take our strengths and figure out how can we use our strengths to bear someone else's weakness, to please our neighbor, to build them up. You know, I don't know how much strength I have. Maybe you're strong in relationships, or maybe you're strong in a skill or an aptitude, or maybe you're strong in business, or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're strong in, in, in knowledge, or maybe you've just lived here a long time and you know the area. Maybe there's a, a strength of, of network. Maybe there's a strength of net worth, and, and you've got resources, or maybe, maybe your strength is just that you have one more chair, one seat open, and to say, come and, and, and sit with me. You know what's What's remarkable about Jesus' life is that, yes, he did flip tables, but he sat at more tables than he flipped. And Jesus sat with people who were considered outsiders, outside of the religious system, outside of the temple. He sat with them and he shared his life with them. He shared stories with them. He built relationship with them. He opened up a seat for them. People who thought they were a million miles away from God. Jesus, the Son of God, he tabernacled among us. He's temple, presence of God. And he came to show us who God is and what God is like. And as followers of Jesus, now we carry his spirit. And we have the opportunity to let people know they're not separated but the invitation is for them to be close. And for many people, it begins with being close to us that we would accept them because people 
gravitate toward environments of acceptance and they move away from places where they feel rejection. And I want you to think about this. With all the people moving into Middle Tennessee, and I know a lot of them are from California. (laughs) We love Californians. We do. We do. We do. (laughs) And people move here from beyond California. And we love them. We do. And we receive them. And we accept them. And here's a really cool thing is every day we have an opportunity in the lunchroom of life to be a part of somebody's core memories. Because they're going to remember whether they experience acceptance or rejection. And we put everyone's welcome on our signs. My prayer is that it would hang over our homes, over our lives, that we would demonstrate the love of Jesus to our neighbors and to the nations that people would know that they matter to God because they first know that they matter to us. And we can't do that on our own. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And it starts with his spirit living in us. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us that God would do this work in us, that he would give us his heart for our neighbors and for the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace for us. And we pray that as your people that we would carry your heart. We pray that you would help us see people. That you would give us a smile. You would give us authentic joy. That there would be joy in relationships and in conversations. God, that you would would give us um, the ability to remember people's names. So they would know that they're not just a number And they would know that they're not unseen, but that we remember them. God, would you help us with that? And Lord, would you give us questions that help people see their importance and that you would help us listen, that you would help us hear not just the words they're saying, but the heart behind it. And then God, would you help us as your people be open-handed with what we have, that we would live generously, that we would love generously, that we would make space on our calendars and make space at our tables and make space in our homes and make space with our lives that people would experience the God who loves them, who gave his son and has given us his spirit so that we can love too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to encourage you, grab one of these bags on your way out, an opportunity to fill it up and bring it back next week so that we can help provide for our neighbors as we continue this series, Neighbors and Nations. You guys have a great week in Lord.